We're in the New Testament. We're in the Gospel of Luke this Sunday as we continue in our series of Inspired going through every book every week. And um, of, the, of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke is my favorite. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, Luke was a Gentile. And because I'm non-Jewish uh, in heritage, the fact that God enabled Luke, a Gentile, to write the story of Christ, write one of the biographies of, of his life and ministry, says to me, we all are included. And boy, that, that is meaningful and rich to me. I also like Luke because he includes a few things that the others do not. For instance, we would not have the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, were it not for Luke in recording it. Uh, along with that, the parable of the rich fool, the persistent widow, and the Pharisee and the tax collector are only included in Luke. The insights of life beyond the grave that come from the conversation of the two men who died, the rich man and a man by the name of Lazarus, is found only in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke shares more information about the Samaritans than the other Gospel writers combined. And so Luke gives us some insights that nobody else does. I also like Luke because he is a physician, and he writes with a certain precision and detail because of that. And, and so this morning, because Luke is a doctor, physician at that day and time, I want us to take a look at what Luke has to say about the healing ministry uh, of Jesus Christ. I, I suspect this morning that everybody in this room has prayed for someone to be healed. I, I'd be surprised if you said, no, I've, I've, I've never prayed for anybody's healing. As a matter of fact, when prayer requests are taken, it's almost always about somebody's sickness, disease, or illness. And we've not only prayed for God's intervention in healing, but we've all experienced the emotional pain and spiritual frustration when that prayer seemingly goes unanswered. We struggle with the why and the why not. Uh, we wrestle with such questions as, did, did I pray in a wrong manner? Uh, did I not demonstrate or exemplify enough faith? Uh, maybe God is punishing me by making somebody else sick. Or maybe God doesn't even care. Those are the questions that come to our mind when we pray so fervently and earnestly and somebody isn't healed or we ourselves aren't healed. So many of the grand stories from the life of Christ center on the dramatic moments when people were healed and freed from the physical diseases that present, prevented them from living life to the fullest in this world. And it seems the impact upon the common people of the day was dramatic when Jesus healed. He went to great lengths, it seems, to reach out. And they went to great lengths to bring the sick to him. Luke chapter 4, verse 40 says, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Now, his healing ministry certainly confirmed the power of God at work in his life. It confirmed the fact that he indeed was God in the flesh. Only God can heal as he healed. And so, by Jesus doing that, it was a confirmation, an affirmation of the fact that he was the Son of God, God in the flesh. Only God could restore eyes that had never seen the light of day or ears that had never heard the sound of, of, of the bird singing that had been silent from birth. Only God had, could have unknotted a withered hand or strengthened paralyzed limbs. Such confirmation of his nature was vital. I mean, you can say 
I am the Son of God. I have come to be your Savior. But why should people believe that? But if you take somebody that's been paralyzed from birth, and after all these years you give them the ability to walk again, that's a pretty good confirmation that your words are true. So was healing a means to an end or an end in itself? Let me suggest to you, it was a means to an end. Jesus didn't come primarily to be a physical healer. It was to point to the most important reason that he came, which was to be a spiritual healer. However, when you know the heart of Jesus, when he looked at the hurting, he was moved with compassion, and when he saw somebody, he just couldn't help but respond out of his great compassion. And I think because Luke was a physician, the healings may have been of particular interest to him. As interesting as the healings are, the response of the people to these miracles seems to be monumental as well. And I think there's some things that we can learn quickly this morning from some of the healing responses of Jesus and the responses of the people involved. So let, let me take you to a few of these grand stories that we find in the Gospel of Luke. And the first one is a picture of uncommon faith. Uh, and, and, uh, and this takes place uh, when Jesus uh, entered Capernaum. Uh, now, Capernaum was a fishing village. It was Peter's hometown. And according to Mark's gospel, it was where Jesus was living at the time. A Roman centurion. Now, centurion was a, was a soldier, an officer over a hundred men, was stationed there in Capernaum. And because he had a servant who was about to die, and he heard about Jesus, he sent some elders to ask Jesus to bring healing to his servant. Now remember, the Jewish people despised the Roman people. The Roman people didn't have a real good feeling about the Jewish people either, but this Roman centurion was really unique in his relationship with the Jewish people. He sent the elders. Now the elders would have been the, sort of the local leaders of the synagogue as well as the political circles, and they had a good relationship with him, and they, he sent the elders to talk to Jesus, uh, and they compelled Jesus to heal the man. He said he deserves it. He's a God-fear. He's been wonderful. He's given money to help with the synagogue. Lord, if you're going to heal anybody, we ask that you do this because he is a good man. And so Jesus is on his way to the house of this centurion when, when others arrive. And this was the message that the centurion sent to Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This Gentile Roman centurion had an unusual awareness of the greatness and the worthiness of Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, I, I know who you are. I'm not worthy for you to come into my presence. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. And I know as a man of authority that you have all authority. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. No special salves, no touch, no, no personal sight. Just say the word. Luke 7 Verses 9 through 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant 
well. I think sometimes we, we conclude, if I have enough faith. Well, faith is important, certainly. It's, it's vital for our lives, undoubtedly. But in this instance, it came as a surprise from a surprising place, a Roman centurion. Let's take a look at another one. I want you to see in this one a very uncaring attitude. Now, I'm always amazed at how often these moments of healing happened on the Sabbath day, which just rubbed the religious leaders wrong. Um, and here's one that's really overlooked. A crippled woman, uh, this comes from Luke chapter 13, a crippled woman made her way to the synagogue for worship and instructions. This woman was so bent over, I, I get the image from what the Bible describes it, that she has been over like this. So when she walks, all she can see is the ground, the dirt in front of her. And Jesus has read that morning in the synagogue from one of the scrolls. He wraps up the scrolls, and then he calls this woman forward. Now, folks, this woman had not come to Jesus for any kind of healing. She did not initiate this. She's in the synagogue. She's worshiping. And Jesus says, come forward. Don't you know that was embarrassing? Here she is, she's probably the kind that sits in the back, wants to stay out of the light of the crowd, and she makes her way forward that morning, all bent over. She can't see anything but the feet of the people around her, and she comes to Jesus, and Jesus already knows her story. It was engraved on every wrinkle of her face, on every twist of her misshapen body, in every wheeze of her labored breathing from being bent over. And though there's no reason to believe uh, in her faithfulness, I mean, there, there's reason to believe in her faithfulness and worship that there is no hint that any faith brought her forward. She did not come forward expecting to be healed. She didn't know why Jesus was calling her forward. It was a touching moment. And Jesus placed his hands on her and said, you are set free. He didn't say, you're healed. He said, you are set free, which was the spirit of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to set us free from our labor of the week. It was a day of rest. And Jesus uses those words not only to set her free from her physical problems, but he's setting her free spiritually as well. But the, the ruler of the synagogue was just, he was irate. Uh, in verse 14, it says, indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Now Luke mentions that the woman had been crippled by a spirit. Demons in Luke's gospel are associated with illness and disability as well as the occasional overwhelming influence of possession. Now you asked me this morning, does demon possession cause illness? I can't explain all this. I, I think there are things that have changed since the death of Christ, but I can tell you at this day and time that demon influence and demon possession did all kinds of things uh, in, in a person's life and even in their body. But don't jump to some conclusion about your own illness, all right? Our, our times are different. Jesus has died. Our redemption has come. Do not conclude that your sinus infection is the result of some kind of demon possession, all right? It's a sinus infection. You don't have a demon. Your spouse may think you act like a demon when you've got a sinus infection, but you are not possessed this morning. Jesus' quick response to the ruler's statement is profound. The Lord answered him, you hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath 
untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So here's a case where Jesus healed somebody who didn't come with faith. She didn't even ask for the healing, but he healed anyway. Was it for the healing or was it for the purpose of teaching an eternal truth about being set free? It's about teaching the truth. Uh, and, then, and then we have one more story here, uh, the, uh, uh, what I consider un conditional compassion on the part of Christ. This comes from Luke chapter 22. It is, it is perhaps my favorite story of healing in, in, in the Gospels. And this comes right at the very end of the ministry of Jesus. This comes on the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He is in the garden. And you know how the story transpires. Judas has gone uh, to get the soldiers. They're on their way. And leading this pack of soldiers is the servant of the high priest, a man by the name of Malchus. Now, sometimes we think of Malchus as being an innocent bystander. Do not think that at all. He was, he was a man of, of great influence, being the chief servant of the high priest who was the most important man at that point in time in all Judea. <clears throat> and so he comes wanting to protect the power and the presence and the influence of, of his boss, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, these co-high priests at, at that day and time. And so he leads the throng and, and of course Judas steps up and kisses Jesus and then steps back and the soldiers get ready to step forward. And about this time the disciples say, Lord, do you want us to fight? And, and, and without waiting for an answer, Peter draws his stubby little sword and he takes a swing at Malchus. He had to be right there in front of what all was going on. Now, I'm here to tell you, Peter was not intent on disfiguring the man. Peter was intent on defending his Lord to the death. He took a swing, Malchus ducked, and an ear fell off. That's all that fell off. Now, there was a tense, breathless moment here. You've got all these battle-hardened soldiers who are ready to, to defend what they're supposed to do. And the Bible says, Luke tells us, that there are 12 legions of angels, uh, yeah, 12 legions of armed angels, that's 72,000 angels on the brink of eternity just waiting for Jesus to say the word, and they'll just come down and defend him. Jesus calmed raging seas with a word. Now he could eliminate raging enemies with a word. And in the tenseness of that moment, what Jesus does is he reaches out, cups his hand around the missing ear of Malchus, and suddenly it's restored. It is healed. Now, I, I, from that moment on, you know, Jesus is hauled into a false trial, and we lose track of Malchus. But I cannot believe that his life was not profoundly impacted at that moment when Jesus could have turned everything around. The one thing he did, the last miracle of his earthly ministry, the last healing miracle of his earthly ministry before his own resurrection was to heal an enemy. Jesus put into practice the hardest of his commands, love your enemy. And he reaches out and he heals Malchus. Now, I'm just curious. Oftentimes, the names of servants are not mentioned in Scripture. Malchus, his name was spelled out. And I'm wondering if Luke spells it out here because the early church would have recognized him as one who was converted to Christ. Don't you know, as he reached up 
and touched his restored ear that he began to wonder maybe this Jesus really is who he said he is. Do you think when he stepped out into the cold and his ears tingled, he thought about this night? Do you think when the wind blew and whistled in his ear that he thought about this night that his ear had been restored? I'm here to tell you there was no faith on the part of Malchus. There was no invitation to healing at this point. It was just the unconditional compassion of Jesus Christ. Little things are often overlooked. It was just an ear but it told volumes about the compassion of God. Now, what do we learn from the healings of Christ? Let me give you some distinctives about the healing of Jesus uh, from Dr. Brad Burke's book, Does God Still Do Miracles? Number one, Christ healed completely. He had no half cures. The paralytic didn't hobble away. The leper didn't live with skin nodules here and there. The blind man didn't need glasses or a seeing eye camel to make his way around. Jesus healed completely. He healed immediately. Except for three instances where the healing involved other steps of faith or obedience, all miracles happened instantaneously. It didn't take days or weeks. Jesus said, you're healed, you were healed. Number three, Christ healed in public. His healing ministry was not limited to certain prearranged sites or prearranged moments in time. He went up and down the countryside healing people where he went. Number four, Christ healed most visibly uh, organic disease. He was not intimidated by withered body parts or paralyzed limbs or blind eyes or even people in the grave. Number five, Christ healed with or without faith, and he healed without partiality. Jew and Gentile alike were recipients of his grace. And number six, Christ healed with a purpose, but it was not the purpose of his coming. His purpose was to authenticate his claim to be the Savior, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Okay, now knowing all that, uh, we are both delighted and disheartened by the healing power of Christ. Delighted that he possesses such powers. Disheartened that his power is not always extended to us. We've got lots of unanswered questions regarding healing and prayer. I have a whole list that I hope I get to take with me when I go home someday. I've got all kinds of questions. Lord, I need an explanation for why this person wasn't healed. But here's some points to ponder even about the earthly healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus didn't heal everyone during his ministry. We read about healings, but they were pretty much limited. There were thousands, tens of thousands of sick people in Judea that were never healed by Jesus. So should we be surprised that not everybody who prays for healing is healed today. Here's another thing. Everyone who Jesus healed eventually died. Even those who were raised from the dead in his earthly ministry died again. These healings, unlike some of his other miracles, were all temporary. So you were healed from this sickness or this illness. It improved your life for a period of time. But everybody died. It was a physical means to a spiritual end. It was to bring them in contact with God. Jesus did not heal on demand. Not every request of him was granted. Even his own request to the Father in the garden, 
Lord, Father, if there is another way. And God said, there isn't any other way. Even his own request was denied, and he went to the cross. And not every prayer fits into the will of God. Allowing for God's perspective and his ability to know the future, we must allow for the fact that every answer, whether yes or no, somehow fits into the will of God. And may I suggest to you this morning that God cannot answer every prayer with an affirmation. Author Philip Yancey writes, he says, if a dozen people pray to get the same job, 11 must ultimately come to terms with unanswered prayer. During our own civil war 150 years ago, both sides here in America prayed. President Lincoln made this observation in one of his addresses. He said, both read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered. That neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. So when you pray and you ask God to heal something in you or something in somebody that you love and God does not say yes to that prayer, rather he says no, you must leave it in the hands of a God who does not make mistakes and whose answer and purpose and will we may never know in this world, but someday we'll understand in his presence. What can we learn about our own divine purpose regarding healing? I think God put us here to be healers, not physical healers, folks, but spiritual healers. There are a lot of ways to bring healing. Help mend broken hearts. Help lift up discouraged lives. Encourage people who are ready to give up on life. There are a lot of ways to bring healing, and God has given us that opportunity to heal. One last healing story real quickly. Four friends brought their paralytic friend, tore a hole in the roof and let him down in front of Jesus, expecting him to be healed, which he was eventually. But do you know what Jesus' first words were to the man lowered through the roof in the presence of everybody? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Can I tell you that is the greatest healing of all? It's not the body that counts, but the soul.